Hello, and welcome to another episode of Podcasting Success Secrets. My name is Hector Santhi Esteban, and I am your host. I spent much of the last decade trying to figure out what makes a successful podcast, failing a little bit along the way, having a lot of success, and then now trying to share those things that I've learned with you, as well as introduce you to some cool people who I've met along the way as well. And today's one of those episodes. We're here with Kira Deneen. She is the host of DNA Today and uh, someone who has her own podcast, is a couple hundred episodes in, and then has also helped a variety of other hosts uh, help grow and manage, produce and edit and all the variety of things start with their show. Kira, thanks for hanging out with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Hector. I can definitely empathize and totally relate to having a bunch of failure and success. And you just roll with it. You're like, okay, you fail at one point, And then you're like, let's figure out what went wrong, dive right back into it. Yeah, I think I like that's part of the way you introduce the show and everything. I don't know if I've given an episode with like my biggest podcast. This is probably a good episode that's going to come out next. Let's talk about your failures. This is not about me. Let's talk about yeah, your let's, failures. Let's I'm start with kidding. the failures. That's like way more interesting <laughs> than the success, right? I love to always go back to the origin of the show, the genesis of the show, if you will, because it, they started for a lot of different reasons. Not really. Like they all kind of group and buck into. So I'm curious what made you want to start a podcast? And then also like why podcast? Like why not a blog or why not a... Instagram channel or something like that? Yeah. So my podcast origin story is the way you phrased it. I started listening to podcasts because you got to start by listening, right? That's the true origin for everybody, I would hope. And I started listening when I was in like eighth grade. So for me, that was like, was neat. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And I was listening to a podcaster. His name is Andrew Sims and other co-hosts that he has. And then I realized he was only about five years older than me. And I was like, oh, maybe I could do this. So then a few years later in high school, I started podcasting. And one of the reasons that I thought podcasting was cool is because at the time, it took me a long time to get into video, but at the time, pretty much every podcast was just audio. And I liked that because less editing. Editing video is not my favorite, I will admit. And so I was like, all right, it's a little bit easier. And I thought it would just be fun. I started a podcast with a bunch of my friends. And you guys will see how nerdy I am. It was about the Hunger Games series, which I'm still a fan of. But that was about to get big. Great so really. SEO topic, too, by the way. That's where my head yeah. goes. Like, oh, great search results. <laughs> yeah. By then, it was like 2011. So it was the year before the franchise movies started. So we were like, oh, they're going to do a movie. Let's get in on, not the ground floor, because the books had already been popular. But so we're like, let's do that. And it, it was just really fun. And I think for me, I hated public speaking. But as a kid, I was podcasting from my childhood bedroom. My friends would all crowd around one little Logitech mic that came with Rock Band. And the Harry Potter series was our mic stand. This was very like, just figure it out as you go. And I just found it to be fun. And, and I became so much more confident in public speaking and all that. And about a year into that, I started now my flagship show, DNA Today, about genetics. And the reason I actually started that one is because I wanted to start a career in genetics. And I said, who is going to take a meeting with a high schooler that wants to learn about their career? Eh, not too many people. Maybe some nice people, but for the most part, they're looking for college students to take dedicate that time to. But I was like, well, if I interview them for a show, maybe they'll take the meetings. So honestly, that was why I started because I wanted to meet people, network, 
start learning about genetics, hold myself accountable to learning because I was like, got to get a new episode out there. So totally selfish reasons for starting. But I didn't think that podcasting would be a full career for me. I thought it would be method to get into my career in genetics. So I don't know if that's a more unique answer. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, that's where I came from. One of the buckets that falls into is I want to talk to cool people. And it's that's my bucket. I want to talk to cool people. That's why we're here. It's happening. And what's also interesting is I see it happen even with people that have full-blown businesses that are booming and thriving and, and successful that they get a little taste of podcasting and they just want to make it their full-time thing. They end up dedicating, I think of one person specifically, he's like a very high position in like a corporate-y kind of job and started a podcast and he became known as like the podcast guy and he's probably off doing his podcast instead of working. And I can't tell you how many times that people, they get a little taste of it and something happens where they want to just do more of it or make just feed it. Yeah, because how cool is it? I don't think we've talked before. We interact a lot on LinkedIn and all of that, but we get on this and we just go straight into a great conversation. Whereas when you get on Zoom with someone, you're like, hey, how are you? Okay, tell me a little about yourself. You're just like, we're hitting record, we're doing this. And you get to like really have these quality conversations with people in such a short amount of time. And I already feel like I'm really getting to know you, but by the end of this, I'm gonna be like, yeah, I know Hector. And you have that feeling where if we just got on Zoom or something and we're just chatting for a little bit, eh, it probably wouldn't be the same level as this is right now. We're both bringing it. We know it's being recorded. Other people are going to hear this. Yeah, it's a really good point. I always thought it was fascinating because I came up in like a sales world and there were some industries that would do these coffee like lunch and they would take coffee dates with people. And that was like their thing. They would try and schedule as many like coffee or lunches with people. And I was like, that sounds gross. That sounds like absolutely the worst possible experience to sit down, look across the table and have a coffee with someone I've never met before and just have to like start a conversation. But it's interesting that we're doing the exact same thing and that you create this mechanism of a podcast and now we're both in flow and we're both in what you just go, like you said. So yeah, I agree with that. That sounds speed dating or like speed friendship or something. I remember doing that in college. You would just go and you try to make new friends or whatever. And it'd be like two minutes and you talk and it was so awkward and so terrible. But you also like this conversation, we knew, all right, we're going to talk about podcasting and give hopefully some advice or something and insight to listeners. So we also have a topic in mind that we're talking about. So we're not just like staring at each other. So what are your hobbies or what are you into? I think that also helps a little bit. That's a really good point. And we, uh, one of the things that has emerged from me that is not natural is the community aspect of podcasting, whether it's the importance or the value of it. But some of my best friends are people that I met through podcasting. And it's because you're able to find someone who has that interest or has that really that interest, those hobbies. Yeah, I think that helps so much. So we go back and what was it like for you? You took us through that because you were a kid and you figured it out and you're like in your closet recording. And there's so many 45-year-olds, 50, 65-year-olds who are trying to figure out like the tech and sort of stuff. Sure, that's that a few wasn't... of my clients, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> that seemed to not be the issue. Maybe because obviously you came at it from when you were a little bit younger and so you had some ideas of figuring out the tech. What were the stumbling blocks or the hesitations or like what were some of the things that you had to fight against in order to just keep going? Yeah, I think one aspect was 
a little bit now outdated, but figuring out the RSS feed. Now we have wonderful podcast hosting places. And 10 years ago, that wasn't as popular. They existed. They were out there. But now you just have your pick of all these different companies. Podbean is the one that I've chosen. And you can just upload you know, your new episodes and they allow you to do dynamic ad insertion, all this. But I had to figure out like how to set up an RSS feed. And I remember that was the biggest hurdle of just figuring it out. I had a Squarespace website and I was like, okay, so how do I make my blog post like an RSS feed? And nowadays that sounds very simple, but I also didn't know what the heck I was doing. But it very much was like just trial and error. And finally, I remember loading up back then it was like the iTunes store or whatever on my little iPod touch and being like, whoa, there's my podcast. There's the album art. That's my name on there. And being so excited by that. But I think a lot of it was even just the tech of figuring out like the microphone and what's going to be the best setup. And you can't touch the wire and you're going to hear that. And don't be hitting on the desk and certain things that like you just learn by doing. But I think one of the things that I tell my new clients is, all right, if we're looking to launch a show, you got to have episodes banked before you launch. I don't know if you would agree with that, Hector. When you launch a new podcast, you don't want to be like, hey, I finished the first episode, let's launch. I'm like, have months worth, whatever your cadence of releasing episodes are, have months worth because life happens in your own world, but also guests will just cancel on you. I'm sure guests have canceled on you. You've been around, so they there's no way they me. haven't. I come and find them. and Ah, so I got to hire you to do that for my people. <laughs> It's things happen. So I think having as much as you can done ahead of time before you launch, but that's for people that are more on that side. But a lot of your listeners have already surpassed 50 episodes, that one year mark. And I think it's really looking back at saying, okay, what has been really popular episodes? Bringing some of those guests back on, but also like what topics are there and reflecting back. If you're at that 50 plus point, congratulations, because the vast majority of podcasts do not get to that point. So that's a huge feat in itself. But I think really looking back at what has been really successful and, and listening to your audience and seeing what's been doing really well, I think is what I try to do on a yearly basis, because you want to make sure you're also giving people what they want to hear and learn. What I've also noticed is that it takes time, and especially the newer that your show or the smaller your audience is, the longer it takes, but it takes time for you to be able to see what episodes are resonating. And what's interesting is that we've even seen where the episodes that are that seem to be most popular within the first seven days, over the first 30 days or the first 90 days are not, there are actually some other ones that seem to get more traction later on. And so I just, I think to, to what you're saying, paying attention to those things and seeing what's resonating both on a short-term kind of capacity and then also long-term I think one of the biggest, best things that you can do is see what is your most and your best performing episode. Bring that guest back on. Have a, a part two, a 201. Do another episode yeah. about that. Well, I remember there was one time on one of our marketing shows, we took the two best topics and we're like, let's just do an episode on these two top. Let's just combine it and see what happens. And of course, it was the, the best performing episode. And it was like, that doesn't always happen. But we saw something and we're like, huh, let's try it. And this time it worked out. So I think that being a little more intentional with your episodes can be, yeah, it can be really valuable for the show. Yeah. And that's huge to be like, okay, what episodes have done the best? And so many, you know, last few years, Spotify wrapped is huge, right? It's like the first week of December that comes out. Everyone's social media feed is filled with who's the top artist and now also who are your top podcasts that you listen to. But on the podcaster side, 
as the producer, you can look to see, okay, what are your best performing episodes? No shock. You could probably even guess not being in the genetic space, but our episode about AI was the one that was streamed the most. That's not a shock because last year was like the real, that was like the buzzword, right? In any kind of industry, that was the buzzword. So of course, right when that comes out, we post on social, I'm tagging that guest and the sponsor for that episode saying, hey, we should schedule another one. Congratulations. You were the number one episode of 2023. And then it's great. I already have that on the schedule. That's going to be an episode in 2024 and, and talking about that. And when I'm going to be doing that, part of what I'm going to do is go out to social media and ask our listeners and say, hey, this was our number one episode. What else do you want to know about in how to use AI in the genetic space? Because then that can also form probably most of my interview questions for that guest, because I certainly have enough of my own because I think AI is awesome. I really use AI a lot. I've changed so much of my workflow in terms of podcasting and really reduced how much time I'm spending on every task and every episode. But I'm basically going to have the listeners create the interview questions for me. One last thing to do. And I get to give a shout out to Emily from Stanford is saying, is asking this question and then can tag them on social media and be like, hey, check it out. People love when they get name dropped in episodes. So I think there's just so many ways that you want to increase engagement. And that's always something I'm trying to think, all right, what else can I do? I'm over 10 years into this, but I'm always trying to think, how can I do this in a new way? Yeah. I think about for me, the, a couple of like failures, if I would call them, there were times where I would set up the recording and then just procrastinate my way to not ever recording anything and find something wrong for 30 minutes and then look up and go, I don't have very much time left. I need to go to my next call or my next thing. So I'll do it next time. There was that. There was also just yesterday, I had a 6am recording. I wasn't like in my normal sorts and the mic didn't work. The speakers weren't like it was. All so today I was like, let me get my setup ready early. <laughs> So I like when I say that is I think our, our best learnings come from our failures or some of the challenges that we have. I'm curious specific when it comes to being a host, that's something that you say that you also help your clients with, which I think is not something that everyone's provide. We focus on like the production editing. And of course, I can gain, give my experience as a host. Were there any things or like any experiences or events or happenings that you look back on that were really impactful or helped to shape like how you actually host a show or how you prepare or show up when it actually comes to the recording? Yeah, definitely. I've shifted this over the years. I used to like used to sit in front of the computer like way before the time. And now it's like life is busier. I think I'm a little bit more in the groove of it. And a lot of that is just confidence. Like fake it till you make it is like such a, a motto that I really uh, take to fruition. And a lot of what I do is chit chat a little bit like you did at the beginning of this, chit chat a little bit with the guests to also disarm them a little bit. And I didn't really necessarily realize I was doing this. I just wanted to, from a producer standpoint, because I also am the audio producer of the show, not the video. I want to make sure their mic is good. So I'm chatting with them to make sure the volume is good, their background noise, all that. I didn't really realize until someone pointed this out. I was working with someone on a presentation at a conference, a workshop, and we were sharing slides and they're like, you should add as a tip of being a host to disarm your guests. And he was a guest on my show. And then we, that led to more projects together. And I was like, yeah, that's actually really good because I didn't really realize I was doing it. But it was so important because like we're used to recording, right? It's not like a huge thing to us. We get in front of the mic, 
camera sometimes. And we're like, all right, yep, we're just going to talk about this, done, move on. But for some people, a lot of people I interview, it's their first podcast episode ever. And so I try to put myself in their shoes like, okay, they're probably a little nervous. What information can I tell them? Hey, we can edit this. This is not live for most of my recordings. If you mess something up, you lose your train of thought, just be like, oh, hold on. Uh, let, Let me think about that. Okay. And then I tell my guests, count to three silently in your head and restart. And I said, I will make you sound better because then I can, as you know, of being a producer and editor, that you can just easily take out that little spot and just blend it into whatever they were last saying. And so just providing a little bit of advice in that sense, I find once I started doing that, guests were so much calmer, more confident. The recordings were so much better. And we built a little bit of rapport if I hadn't met them before. So I think that's really important just as you get started, because not just to make sure that the quality and everything tech-wise is set up. Make sure your guests know, okay, do you have any questions? Also, is there anything you don't want to talk about? I always ask my guests that. I often interview people that are patient advocates. So they may have a child or someone that they're taking care of that has a genetic condition. And there might be an aspect that they don't want to talk about. It may be family dynamics. It may be a certain challenge that they've experienced or something that they're still working out as a family and they don't want to talk about publicly. That's going to depend. Like an interview like this, eh, it doesn't really matter. But if you're doing a sensitive interview, I think that's important to ask. But disarming your guests, I've learned, is it really goes a long way to take a few minutes. Yeah. Similarly, I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that's what I'm trying to do. Like, I'm. It's, it's just like, so we're... like innate to us. I think we also see as you do enough of them, you're like, oh, that was a weird start. Yeah. Otherwise, you spend the first few minutes of the interview or the first few minutes of the recording trying to accomplish that same thing. And instead, you can make that happen off the recording. Yeah. And I really love the one, two, three thing, or the count to three thing. You know, I'm just saying it in my like, count to three in your head. Like, I really love that just specific practice. We tell them, like, yeah, we can edit it and whatever, just start over. But that sort of thing, I think practically just makes it so much easier for your editor. Because, yes, as I know, stitching those together and trying smoothing oh. those parts out, it's strangely fun for me. It's like sadistic, but I know my yeah, editors. It's like part. a puzzle. I get into my groove and the world doesn't exist. It's just me and GarageBand. And I tell guests, I'm like, it will be awkward. We're going to be staring at each other for three seconds, but it's so going to be worth it. Like you just put it out there and you try to make fun of the moment. Otherwise, people won't do it because they'll feel awkward at the moment because they're like, oh, this is being recorded. People like you and me that have been podcasting, you would know if I say something mess up and then I'm silent, you'd be like, oh, I know what she's doing. But guests aren't really thinking that way necessarily. When you think about your show and its evolutions, like what are there stages or phases or I've echoed the advice that I've heard stitched together from other people that like your first 50 episodes is about finding your voice. And then the next 50 episodes is about finding your audience. And then the next 50 episodes, you can find your either a community or that's when you can start to monetize. But usually that's by like year three. What have been like the phases or, or stages or evolutions of DNA today? We've had a lot. So it's been 11 years. So many stages, many failures, many adaptations. When I started the show, the first 20-ish episodes are actually not even where it started to be numbered. And those are all just like lessons about genetic topics. And that's where I was just like, okay, I'm literally just like trying to figure out what I'm doing. And I would teach myself these little genetic concepts and then be like, all right, one of the highest levels of understanding is if you can teach it. So that was my mindset with it of 
all right, we'll see how long this recording is and just getting used to talking into a mic and sounding more polished. So that was the first phase of just offering lessons. And I'm shocked. I'm sure you've been shocked at what episodes sometimes do well. We have one episode about a certain type of approach to genetic testing. It's called a microarray. There must not be a lot out there about microarrays because that is one of our number one viewed YouTube videos. It is a static background, just our logo, probably the little audio waves going, maybe. And it's just eight minutes or something of me talking about what a microarray is. And my voice is up here because I'm a high schooler. But somehow that's done really well. And you never know that an old episode does well. But I learned what people were into. And then my next phase, I would say, is starting to do interviews and talking about failures. My first or one of the first interviews I did, I'm like, all right, I came in with questions. I physically, I was on campus. I went to this professor's office and brought my Blue Yeti microphone, put it down. And I burned through those questions in, I would say, about 12 minutes. It was supposed to be a half hour interview. And I'm just like, thank you so much. I came up with something at the moment. I was like, yeah, oh, I wish we had more time. Like, it's just the segment for the show. I just didn't have any more questions. I just wasn't prepared enough. And now I know, always have extra questions you're thinking about ahead of time. And figure that out. And, and it was funny. I actually had dinner with that person recently. And I said, I don't know if you knew this, but that first interview I did with you, it ended early because I just ran out of stuff to ask you. I just wasn't prepared. So that kind of felt like a full, full circle moment. But yeah, I think nowadays I've just gotten much better at, at interviewing. And you know, I certainly, as, as you probably do too, Hector, cringe at very early episodes and bad transitions and different things like that. But yeah, I think nowadays I have my cadence down with it. But our most recent phase has been starting to record at NBC Stanford Studios. So that's been really fun that certain episodes, we actually have the guests come out to the physical studio. We've got a whole production team behind us of people behind the microphones, someone like behind, I don't know all the terms, but someone creating that line cut and switching cameras. And I'm looking to see which camera's going and I'm sure we'll integrate a teleprompter and stuff, but that's only after 12 years of podcasting have I gotten to the point where we're starting to use, you know, a studio for certain recordings. But it's definitely changed a lot. And I hope the next 10 years will change a lot too. Yeah, so cool. I think that's really exciting. Here's the whole question thing. I'm wondering, the interesting thing you talk about when having more questions or knowing what to do, I think that is absolutely an evolution that hosts go through too, that I forget that. I've done hundreds of these interviews so I can show up. And even if I needed to take a little pause, like I did a few seconds ago, and you listeners may not have even noticed, it may have got it, it may have didn't. But I know that I can do that and we can flow and riff. But also, I couldn't do that when I first got started, that I would have clammed up and similar to you, not ended the interview a little early. And so knowing where you're at in the process and preparing to the level that you need, I think is really valuable and really important. So as you look forward, you touched on it a little bit. As you look forward, if you think about an indie podcaster, someone who is like the people that you help or someone who's been that first 50 episodes or so, what might they be excited about or what could they be excited about that you're looking forward to in 2024 that is an opportunity for that type of podcaster? Yeah, I think for people that have surpassed 50 episodes a year, for them, I would say you're at this awesome point where I would start reaching out to celebrities to be on your show. And we talk about, I think one of the themes that is coming out of this episode is failure. And I can't tell you how many people I reach out to that I never hear back from. I'm like, I shot my shot, right? And something that I started using last year is IMBD Pro. And what's really cool about this is that 
you can go in and you can actually find the manager for that person or their PR person, whatever their title is, their booking agent, and reach out to them. And you never know. I think once you have that many episodes, you are an established podcast in my eyes. And you can reference and come up with that very personalized sales pitch, basically, to say, hey, we would love to have X person on the show. A few of our other guests have been, if you have anybody to name drop, or something impressive, either your download numbers, or maybe your subscriber follower numbers, something like that. Because for every 10 I don't hear from, there's one that I do. And that's how I've been able to get, I've had a couple actors on the show. We had Maury Povich on the show, who's the, you're the father, you're not the father. Naturally, where we collide is paternity genetic testing. But you just never know. And I think thinking outside the box of, How could this celebrity fit into whatever the topic and very specific niche that your podcast focuses on? I would have said, Maury Povich, what would we have in common? But then you think about it a little bit. You're like, oh, he does perform genetic testing. I have a genetic podcast. Boom, make it happen. I think, why not reach out to people? Why not email? Send a couple follow-up emails. Don't go crazy over it because you don't want to be annoying, but... I, th- I think that's a good goal to have a couple celebrities on your podcast. And it may be celebrity in your area, right? It may be someone that if I have a new client that has a golf podcast, Accelerate Golf. And so obviously, if he had Tiger Woods on, that's a name I know. But other pro golfers, I'm not going to know. But in his world, that would be huge, right? So I think figuring out that and what's the worst you don't hear back? Hey, what's the best? They come on your show and you start getting hella downloads on that and people may then get hooked on your podcast from it yeah great advice here carrie if people want to find out more about you your services your podcast where's the best place to go yeah definitely so i mean if you want to check out the genetics podcast i host it's called dna today obviously available on all podcast platforms if you're someone as we've been talking about that is looking at this next year and saying We want to do something, a relaunch of the podcast, or you really just want to get it out there more. You need help with XYZ. I have been doing it all for 12 years. Feel free to reach out to me, info at dnatoday.com, or you could just Google and find me. I'm happy to have a free consultation just to see if I can help you. But Hector, this has been awesome. Really enjoyed the conversation as I knew I would because you're an awesome podcaster. But I really appreciate you just having me on and just shooting our shot about podcasting and just being able to nerd out about it together. Yeah. There's not people around like at home. I can't do that with They just their eyes glazed over. So anyone that will let me nerd out as much as possible, then uh, I'm here with it. For those of you who stuck with us and are here with us, we appreciate you being a part of the pod fam. We would love and appreciate a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, especially on Spotify. We're probably trying to make a little push there. So if you happen to have Spotify on your phone, open up the show, scroll to the top. There's some stars there. It might make you listen to it for a little bit, but we would only uh, a few seconds. It's worth yeah, it. Do it. <laughs> appreciate the, the stars, as many stars as you think my unvalidated self is worth. We appreciate that. And as always, we love you being here. We'll see you on the next one. Later, y'all. Bye. Thank you.